Hello, Pastor Deborah here again, and welcome to another episode of the School of Light from the Kingdom of Agape Love, Volume 1. We are working through my personal stories of learning how to help you the Lord's way. If you recall, I had been a licensed and a nationally certified clinical mental health counselor. And I had been doing advocacy work up in Washington, D.C. And for the District 1 of the Panhandle of the state of Florida, I had a private practice. I had worked in hospitals, nursing homes, did neuropsychological testing with brain injury patients, worked with a neuropsychologist and psychiatrist, worked on a team in a rehabilitation hospital, worked with injured and disabilities. I was a very busy person. And then it all started crumbling down. Even though I didn't know what was happening, God was taking me out of one world, one way of thinking, To help me into his world and his way of helping you with your issues, his way. Sometimes our journey is short. Sometimes it's long and there's a lot of influence along the way. We don't see it. We don't understand it. Sometimes we're happy blindly. Other times we know that that something's wrong. But we do it anyway. We want the prestige. We want the glory. We want the titles. We want the money. This is what we went to school for. I had a master's degree. Six years of college. Plus a lot of free licensing, continuing education classes. I was always volunteering in the community. I was always taking free community classes. I'd been a teacher in high school, middle school, elementary school, college. I worked in jails, nursing homes, private practice. I was a busy person. But I had the fundamentals of helping people. But I was in the wrong venue. I was in the wrong place. Had the wrong information. So this story that we're working through of my personal transformation called It's Time, tells the story of my beginnings, my roots, my foundation, my transformation. It's kind of long. We're working through it. I read it to you. We're in part number nine, and it's story number 28. I have a few more to give in this volume one, and then we'll start volume two. In volume two, it's going to be personal stories of people I have helped and the way of helping them the Lord's way. They are powerful. They are true. And most of them are unbelievable. But you will recognize yourself in them when you read them. Right now you're learning about how God does a transformation. We all have to go through it. Yes, all of us. Some of us go through it faster. Some of us go through it slower. 
Some of us have to have powerful life and death experiences, have everything taken away from us, fall down and have nothing before we can be sort of rebirthed. Some of us are able to sort of get it from our childhood, but we really don't. We end up in systems called religion. We end up in politics. Our helping the next generation ends up in schools of all kinds. We end up trying to help people in many different ways. Food, shelter, clothing, hospital. We want to show mercy and we want to help. Well, I did that. I worked in a church's food pantry, volunteered on the streets with the homeless, went to their camps, gave out clothes, worked with abused kids, was their guardian, was the eyes and ears of a judge in family court, worked with hospice people dying, helped them die, worked in nursing homes with people coming out of the state mental hospital. People in comas, people laying in bed, worked with the nurses, worked in nursing homes in groups, tested them, worked in a rehabilitation hospital with brain injury people, even children, spinal cord injuries, older people with strokes, people who had gotten sick. One lady had been burned over all her body by gasoline in a domestic violence situation. I worked with their families, the nurses, the doctors, had a lot of medical training. Most mental health counselors did not. Most mental health counselors didn't go into nursing homes, didn't go to the jails, the prisons, didn't walk around prisoners. I did. I started off in a state juvenile delinquency home in Montgomery, Alabama, I think it was called Mount Meg's, worked with juveniles who were all bigger than me. They would corner me in hallways and try to sexually assault me. All I had was my voice and my authority to back them down. I was short. I'm only 5'2". I worked with everything that most mental health counselors and people did not want to work with. Why? I don't know. I loved them. I had friends in high school and college who were in wheelchairs. I actually volunteered. <clears throat> I think I worked though, as a summer intern in, I think it was called the Central Alabama Rehabilitation Center in Montgomery, Alabama. I was working in the files, working with spinal cord injury patients, doing groups with drug and alcohol. I was around disabled people from car accidents, all kinds of things, born with disabilities. Got very comfortable in that situation. Loved the people tremendously. Got in trouble a lot by my authorities. Because I wasn't supposed to do. I wasn't supposed to really love on them. Did a lot of volunteer work, working drug and alcohol programs. Yeah. Also, at the same time, I'd go to something called the Knife and Fork Club. It's where you would dress up in evening gowns. You would meet the movers and the shakers of the communities, dentists, lawyers, professionals. I was very comfortable in the evening gown on the dance floor. 
I danced with generals, Air Force officers. I was an Air Force officer's daughter. It's very comfortable in that realm, in the military, around pilots. Yeah, men. Went to school at Troy State University. At my graduate level, I was in a class at Maxwell Air Force Base, Troy State. I was the only girl. Everybody else was a military officer from all around the world. They were going there to, through a nine-month program to get their counseling and guidance degree while they were attending programs and schools during the day. I was tough. Didn't get a lot of sleep. Wasn't really connected to my high school. Don't go to any of the reunions or my college. Didn't even walk on my college graduation. It wasn't that important to me. Yeah. I had attended Troy State University. Then I transferred to the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for one semester. Didn't like it. Had a lot of drama. So stayed out of school for a semester. Worked in the daycare center with four-year-olds. Loved it. Teaching. Helping. Then I went back to Troy. Didn't live in the dorms anymore. Lived with people. Lived alone. Finally graduated. And as soon as I graduated, started my graduate school and working at Mount Meigs. I was around dentists, vocational counselors, drug and alcohol, teachers, administrators. Used to have to drive about 30 miles. It's a big campus out in the sort of wilderness. These were the hardcore juvenile delinquents. And I was comfortable with them and in that situation. I worked during the day and went to graduate school at night from about 5 till 10. That was a busy lady. I knew I, a bachelor's degree was just like elementary school. You had to have it to get in the door. But you didn't get in the door. It only got you to the door. I tried getting on with the state of Alabama. Didn't work. Didn't fit. For some reason. And when I graduated in 1976 with my master's in counseling and guidance with a minor in psychology and something else, I moved to Pensacola, Florida. We had a beach home since 1968. There was Navy down here. Young people wanted to be young and meet and dance and stuff. I hadn't done that in years. So I moved to our beach home. I think it was 1013 Areola Drive right across the street from the ocean. It's not there anymore. It got wiped out in Hurricane Ivan, I think. Beautiful little cinder block home. Yeah, wonderful. So I come from a family of military. And this story called It's Time was that how God was transitioning me from one life to another. Still helping people, but in a different way with a different sort of person inside. The person I was, named Jan, had to die. And this story is giving you my background, the history, the process, the transformation. And you'll hear in the very end how it was successful. So let's pick up in part number nine of the story called It's Time. First, we want to give a big thank you to Zoom Pro. That's who I'm using. 
And if things look weird on my hair or my hand points and disappears, it's because there is no green screen behind me. Used to use them, don't like them anymore. I have enough to do to get ready to record. And setting up a green screen was just one more thing I didn't want to do. And I learned when you look back into the background and you see into your living room, which is usually very cluttered and not very screen appropriate, I didn't like it. See, I want you focused on me, but not all the time. I want you seeing the motion video. It's an illustration. I want to be a part of it. I don't want my makeup, my outfit to distract. I don't want my background to be seen. Not because you're peering into my living room, but it's cluttered. So through Pixabay, I get free motion videos. Then in the video editing program called Wondershare for Mora, I will add music that's free, effects, transitions, titles. And I'll put together a wonderful video for you to watch and learn. I'm not as good as a lot of you guys are, that's for sure. But I'm learning. And I'm trying. So here in this story called It's Time, number nine, you're going to hear more of my story. Let's open up with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you'll be bringing to watch this and listening to it right now in the Garden of Eden, in their dreams, all over the world. We thank you for the billions and the billions and the billions of people that will hear this story, that were not a part of it when it was happening. They learn about transition so they too can look forward to it and not be afraid. Father, we know about reincarnation. People are desiring to be born again into something new and different, hopefully better instead of worse. But we know that's in cultures. We know they believe in death and a life afterwards. They know there's a God because they pray to you, but they don't know it's you. So, Father, thank you and help them to hear you, to hear you and understand you through Pastor Deborah's life and transition. From this story called It's Time, in the name of Christ Jesus, amen. We are picking up in part number nine. So let's start. Jan had always wanted to help people. Remember, Jan came to life when I was in the fifth grade, walked into Dalreda Elementary School and was introduced. I had just been transferred from Maxwell Air Force Base, where my dad was now working at Gunter Air Force Base. Dalreda Elementary was a small school in a small suburb in town. And I came into the fifth grade class with the teacher, Mr. Salter. And he introduced, and he was about ready to say Debbie, because that's what I had been called. And when he did, he first introduced the students, and there was already three or four Debbies. So I just said my name was Jan. Jan is my middle name. My full name is Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, Jan. I wanted to be different. So I became Jan by my own will by my own choice. And that is who this story is mostly about, Jan. So Jan had always wanted to help people, and God was right there to lead her and teach her, even though Jan 
the other me, who's dead now, did not know it. He told Jan, this was years later, to put her mental health counselor's license down and her nationally certified clinical mental health certification down. And he would teach me how to help people the Lord's way. What? All that I had done to be nationally clinically certified, taking the state test for licensure two or three times, spending lots of money. He was asking me to give up my profession, my title, my identity, money. Without knowing where I was going, how was I going to live? Who was I going to be? But he was asking me to do this. So Jan obeyed and looked for a Sunday school class to help her. The one I was in at a Lutheran church, I think it was the Lutheran Church of the Resurrection. I went to their Sunday school classes, Jan. They didn't teach deliverance, healing. By this time, I'm at the Brownsville Revival, going out at the Brownsville Assembly of God Church in Pensacola, Florida. It's probably about 1995 and maybe 1996. And my transformation had begun. So God asked me to put the license down. Do not renew it. And I didn't. And I went to Brownsville Assembly of God, to the revival, and started going and looking for a Sunday school class. I knew I needed knowledge and education. So for two or three Sundays, I would go to a different Sunday school class, sit in it, I go, no, that's not it. That's not where I'm supposed to be. Try another one. No, that whatever their topic, no, that wasn't it. Till I got to this one on deliverance. And they were using a book. The book was called The Strong Man. What's his name? What's his game? By doctors Jerry and Carol Robinson. Jan knew that this class was where she was to be. This was it. Now, the Robertson's book is still out there in bookstores. has a different coverage. But this is what I learned. And this is what was taught. This is where Jan was supposed to go. So she did for years. For about six months to a year, I just sat in the Sunday school class. By that time, I was on the prayer team of the Brownsville Assembly of God Revival, praying on Friday nights in the sanctuary. Like this, touch him, Lord. Very quietly, dressed appropriately. No yelling, no screaming. Just going, staying in my position. People would come up to you and say, I'd say, do you want prayer? They'd say, yes. I'd say, okay. Touch him, Lord. Some people would come up praying in tongues. They were singing, uh, they were holding the hands of their partner, and I had to break that up, get them quiet. God was there, 
He didn't need you to beg him, do anything. He was wanting to touch people. So in this Sunday school class, I think the teacher and the coordinator is named Teresa. And she taught this out of the book. And I learned. I went and bought the book myself and started reading it. And every and what the Robertsons had done is they had gone through the Bible. And the Robertsons were people that were missionary evangelists of Assembly of God. They'd spent 30 years in Costa Rica as a missionary evangelist. And they ran into some things that they were not taught. Because the assemblies believed that Christians could not have these things in them. Because light and dark could not exist in the same body. But the Robertsons found out differently. And when so they went through the Bible. And they found scriptural references for all these things that they ran into. So in my study, and I had to look up all the scripture references. In the Robertson's book, Strongman, what's his name? What's his game? As I said, they broke out these individual demonic spirits, strongmen, which I had to study. They were like the generals. They had soldiers and armies, many under them. And as I said, one of them was the spirit of Antichrist. And the Robertsons had done such a thorough job. They went through the Bible and they found out many different soldiers, battalions, uh, weapons that they used who were demonic spirits against humanity. For instance, they found out that under the stronghold, the strong man of Antichrist, you might have someone who denies the deity, the lordship of Christ Jesus. Denies atonement for sins. As is against Christ and his teachings. Suppresses ministries. The word of God. Is a humanist. Has worldly speech and actions. It's anti-Christian. Is lawless. Is a deceiver. And they're teachers of heresy. And what the Robertsons did is they found these different strong men who were under the stronghold in the Bible. And so we would call these out. First, we would bind them up after the person had declared that they were a believer in Christ Jesus. We would bind up all the strong men and the stronghold. And we'd start casting them out, calling their names out to come forth. This was in the personal individual deliverance sessions which were held in another building not the sanctuary where I was giving prayer so we went through this book in the Sunday school class and I was learning I came home and I would look up every scriptural reference the Robertsons had found I'd read them I'd look up words I got a deep understanding of how these spiritual things were causing mental health problems physical problems Problems in society, problems against the law, and I could be could be seen in thoughts, ideas, concepts, words, politics, lawlessness, crimes. I was learning. Jan sat in this Sunday school class for years, read the book, took notes at home, studied, looked up other ministries on the internet. 
was getting a thorough education in how to help people the Lord's way. Then after about a year sitting in that Sunday school class and being on the prayer team, I applied to be on this personal ministry team called the deliverance team. Didn't know the coordinator, never introduced myself. She came and I remember her watching me on Friday nights as I gave prayer to visitors in the sanctuary. Not only did she have to pray over every application, but she sent them on to the senior pastor. That was Pastor John Kilpatrick. And at that time, he prayed over these people because he knew about deliverance. He had cast out some devils himself early in his years as a pastor. Hadn't done so lately because the assemblies had decided to tone down these spiritual events. They didn't want to be seen as crazy or weird by society. They wanted to attract lawyers and doctors, professionals, and they knew that they would not put up with this craziness because any of your problems were just mental health, biological. They were not a spiritual problem that needs spiritual answers or medicine. Now, if you study history, I actually wrote a blog for the NASCA, the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, about equal partners of medicine, doctors, and spirituality. It goes into the history of the spiritual, back to the pharaohs of Egypt, back into history. There was a belief in gods, evil spirits. There was early years in even mental health and medicine that believed we had evil, foul spirits in us that needed to be released. Casting out of devils was done. Catholic Church believes in it after you do a lot of medical testing. There's still a lot of deliverance ministers out there, but they're kind of loud. Uh, and not a lot of your regular people, they don't go to them. Because people don't want to believe that this world is real, that these entities could be inside of them, causing them problems. But when I got on the deliverance team, the gift of discerning spirits kicked on, which came from the Holy Spirit. I could see into the spirit realm inside of you. I could see the entities moving around in your eyes, in your skin. I could talk to them. I could see them. I could see where your spirit was trapped in jail cells, in trances. This was a gift that I needed to have in order to help you the Lord's way. So I had to start studying this. And I had to understand this was a gift of the Holy Spirit. I was not mentally ill. So I studied some early faith movers. Kenneth Hagen, who started a university. And some of the early ones who saw in the spirit, saw demons, cast them out, and they did not seem to be mentally ill. I saw Christ Jesus doing it in the four gospels. I saw Paul doing it as an apostle. He cast out a devil called a familiar spirit out of a young girl who was making a donkey talk and statues. It's called a familiar spirit. Wasn't seemed, didn't seem weird. 
people utilized these things to help them make money to trick people. That's what a ventriloquist is. They're using a familiar spirit that speaks through a puppet and the person holding the puppet doesn't move their mouth. But you hear the puppet talking. Had to learn that. But Pastor John Kilpatrick himself had to pray over every deliverance person that was seeking it. So I knew that he he heard from God and I was approved. So another part of my transition began being on the deliverance team. They actually changed the name to the personal ministry team. They didn't want to offend people. Most of the visitors to this revival, which we would have on Friday night, which I was in the sanctuary, maybe up to 8,000 people that Pastor Deborah, which was Jan, was responsible for. Some nights I never got to sit down in the pew. I was in bathrooms, the children's rooms, other buildings, outside on the sidewalk. I worked with the security guards, the ushers, visiting ministers, pastors. I went to the intercessory room working with traveling intercessors. And I had to bind them up. According to Matthew 18 and 18, it says, whatever you bind up on earth will be bound in the heavenlies. Whatever you loose will be loose. I had to bind up things that were agitated in the presence of God. Like this light was coming down in the revival. This was agitating the things in people. Agitating the atmosphere. The things, these spirits in people, were getting agitated, tormented at this light, this presence that had shown up on this church. The Brownsville Assembly of God Church. It's no longer there. Pastor John has moved on. The evangelist Steve Hill has passed away. It's sort of a dead, dying church ground. God is this way. He will come to a particular place touch people, and leave. Then he leaves you behind to do things. And if the touch is powerful enough, you've been changed enough, transitioned enough, you will continue on after he's gone. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like when you go to a convention. You go and you hear a powerful speaker. You get energized. You get reinvigorated. And the speaker leaves. Now you're just with you and your new energy, your new encouragement. And you go back home and you take that speaker's message and his energy and his hope and encouragement to others. That is what happened at Brownsville. God was moving. He was speaking to this coordinator and to the pastor to accept me on the team. So began another part of my spiritual transformation, my journey into the realm of the spirit, into the realm of the strongholds and the kingdom of darkness of Satan. I had to learn about deliverance, casting out of devils, binding them up. I had to see with my eyes them inside a human body. I had to learn about demonic spirits, strong men, and all that was underneath of them. 
I had to learn about how to cast out with authority, about binding and loosing, about prayers of repentance. I learned about ancient curses and ancient blessings. Learned about ancestors, spirit work, traveling out of the body, spirit meetings. Learned about witchcraft, the occult, ancient history, and people's personal experiences and trauma as children. I bought lots and lots of books, thousands of dollars worth of witchcraft, the occult, casting out spiritual healing, spiritual deliverance. I said, I read, I went to church, watched very little TV, attended no ball games. My son was maybe 12, 13. I had given him over to God. I was studying as hard as I could. We were taught by Steve Hale that God was in a hurry. While we were playing around at ball games, just doing whatever, people were dying and going to hell, and he would hold us accountable, his people who believed. Because I learned in the Bible that if you're given God's message and you do not pass it on to other people, and they die and they go to hell, when you pass on yourself, God will hold you accountable for where they go. He gave you a message. Go into all nations. Go and baptize. Immerse people into the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ and God the Father. Go. Do. Speak. Teach. And if you don't do that, and you stay in the four walls, and you say nothing, and you have a chance to speak to somebody or pray over something and you don't do it, you will be held accountable and you will be guilty of not obeying. I learned that. I studied. I knew God was in a hurry, so I had to grow fast. I was on a fast track, six or eight books at one time, church six, seven nights a week, no normal life, Studying, reading, praying, church, casting out of devils, praying on Friday night, binding them up. I was immersed in the atmosphere of the kingdoms on earth. God's kingdom of heaven was arising in me. I was learning my authority and dominion. I was seeing the enemy in people on planet, how it was working. I was learning their strong men. I was learning about the occult, the unseen. I was learning about religion, people. I was learning. Then came the nights and the nights of weeping and prayer for those in the darkest and deepest prisons of Satanism, of multi-generational Satanism, of witchcraft, in the occult, heavy metal music bands, drugs, abuse of all kinds. Instead of, I would change the words of songs from, Bless me, Lord, to help them. I spent months crying at every song at home. Tears were for you. My heart was breaking. I was excellent in the kingdom, in the 
King's International Spiritual Care University. There's a video called The Valley of Tears. You go watch it. Talks to you about how God had to touch my heart, my mind, my spirit. So I could feel his heart breaking for you. My heart began changing. My prayers were changing. It was about humanity. It was about you. More personal experience in the sanctuary came, all by myself. I had full authority and dominion over the ushers, over the intercessors, at altar calls, set up on the platform, right behind the prayer team captain and right behind Steve Hill himself. I was in leadership. I was on cameras, videotapes. I had to dress appropriately, act appropriately. The ushers had to be able to get to me immediately. I would be over six to 8,000 people every Friday night, the most busiest night of the revival. Many nights I didn't even get to in, enter the building, hear the praise and worship, or hear Steve preach, because I was busy binding up the enemy. The rules were in the sanctuary we were not to cast out because it could get messy. I was to bind up what was acting up, being tormented by the rays of light. And then talk to the person and tell them when they go home, they're to contact their pastor. Tell them they have some issues that need to be cast out. And not to pray and not to have their friends pray for them in their hotel room or on their way home. This was for their senior pastor back at the church. And I did children, teens, young adults, men, women, all colors, all ages. Some of them speak English. God was using everything to teach me to help you. Transitioning was happening. I was seeing things that would have been called mental health issues. I saw eyes change into cats, people barking and hissing. I saw agitation that you might think was something medical. I saw eyes rolled back in people's head. The death, death came on people. Eerie grayness would come. They'd go into trances and comas. We had to hold them down. I saw them get vicious, crawl around like a dog, slither like a snake. My mental health world was being challenged. I was on full display. In fact, my first time by myself was with an elderly lady who was manifesting is what you call it. Very agitated. She was in a wheelchair. Her husband was there. They didn't know what was happening. I had ushers, three or four, security guards two or three, senior pastors from the church, associate pastors, all standing around. They were not allowed to speak. I was the only one with full authority over this situation. And I remember walking into the room. I was on display. People were checking me out to see, did I have the authority? Who was I? I prayed to God. God, I hope your prayers are binding work. So I started. Dear Heavenly Father, we come in your name, Christ Jesus of Nazareth, and we come against the spirit of Antichrist. I worked through 17 
or 19 of the spirits that I had learned in this Sunday school class out of the book called Strongman. What's his name? What's his game? I bound all of them up in the name of Christ Jesus and I said, you be bound. And I prayed peace. This lady's agitation got less. And you could feel the peace in the room. I was on display for my authority did it work. Satan was in these people seeing if I had the goods. Did I have the authority to bind up his works? I did. I was all alone. Husband wasn't there. Team coordinator wasn't there. They were across the street. Casting out devils individually in people. I was here in the sanctuary under intense spiritual pressure in the intensity of the light of God. And I passed the test. I could perform in front of people. I knew my authority. I knew the enemy. That was my first test. On the deliverance team. All by myself. All your tests will be by yourself. Transitioning will be by yourself. But you will be on display in the spirit world and in front of others. By yourself. Taking the test. I had studied the book, been in the class, and here it was. My first, I only had one or two times with the the young man who was in the sanctuary to follow him and watch him. And then I was given Friday nights. What? Saturday nights, I'd be across the street in a room with a team casting out. But your test time comes early. And you're on your own. And it's quiet and everybody's watching. I passed. And during this valley of tears, I was changing songs and prayers to help you. Not to help me. Not even to help my son. I knew my son was saved, would go to heaven. I knew I would go to heaven. But you were all going to hell. You didn't believe. You were a held captive by the enemy more personal experiences in the sanctuary by myself came I had to display experience my full authority and dominion over the ushers the intercessors at altar calls over six to eight thousand people night after night six days a week year after year for five years I had to be calm had to dress appropriately, had to speak appropriately. Jan grew, but really it was Deborah, in spiritual knowledge and authority over demons, over strongmen, strongholds, grew in confidence and understanding. I had to learn about the spiritual gifts that would be given to me. Jan was learning, but she was also decreasing Deborah was learning and slowly arising we were both being fed I had to learn how to spiritually perceive other people's spiritual thoughts I had to hear them thinking I had to learn what the anointing was of God for this ministry Jan knew Anything that was on her life 
an anointing that I had to study. You didn't study anointings in mental health counseling. You didn't study gifts. You studied medicine, theories by many different people, different kinds of behavioral changes, treatment programs, electric shock treatments, medicine, lobotomies, japanning, shackles, shots. We studied medicine, not spiritual issues. When I began really moving in the gift of discerning the spirits, words and knowledge, jealousy and envy started coming from the coordinator and other members of the personal ministry team. False allegations started coming from those who I would bind up in the sanctuary. That story was, this young girl came to the altar on a Friday night, crying. They sent me to her. She said that she wanted to kill herself and her parents. I asked her uh, who she believed in, who she prayed to. She told me Mother Mary. So I knew we had a spirit of Antichrist already at work. She was over 21 and she was living with an aunt or somebody in Gulf Breeze, Florida. So I asked her, did you want me to help her? Did you want to stop this, these thoughts and things? She said, yes. So I prayed and I said, God, free her. I had to watch my words in the sanctuary of everything. Every strong man, strong. Didn't use the D word, devil or demon. Wasn't allowed to. Didn't know it at first. Got in trouble over that too. That was not of God. That was of the spirit of Antichrist. Be bound and cast out. Oh, I couldn't say that word, cast out. I said, be bound. So she felt better. Next week, I get a phone call. The lady who this young girl was living with had called a chaplain. Not the pastor, Kilpatrick, but another one. I think his name was... can't remember his name. Chaplain Robertson, or Robertson, something like that. He had been a Navy chaplain. And retired. And he had come to help and assist Pastor John Kilpatrick. He called me into his office and said that there was a complaint about me. That I had spoken against the Catholic Church and Mother Mary with this young girl. And her in-law or her grandmother or aunt was complaining. I said, sir, I'm not allowed to, according to Pastor John, to say any of that. I'm only allowed to bind and I didn't say Mother Mary or the Catholic Church. I said, Spirit of Antichrist. Well, what had happened? Something happened. The enemy got wind of what happened. That thing was bound. The assignment was canceled. And spiritually, they were mad. So they came and complained. The other team members were also getting jealous of me. I was moving and guess I could see things they could not see. I was getting in trouble in the sanctuary with other intercessors. I would see them and the demonic spirits in them. But the coordinator, I think her name was Lila, uh, said that was the moving of the Holy Spirit on them. And they were working through and they were travailing in prayer for the revival. I said, I'm sorry. 
That's not what it was. It was a demonic spirit manifesting. I got called into the chaplain's office again because I was coming against a high-ranking lady. I actually learned she was a dark mother of darkness and Satanism out of Hollywood. And I was challenging her because she wanted the demonic spirits to run rampant and be free in the intercessory room. The intercessors had already gotten in trouble for manifesting in the sanctuary and had been ordered by Pastor John to go through deliverance with my team when I first got on it. We were only nine or ten people. And we had to go through all, maybe 200 intercessors. Because they had issues. Well, that infuriated the coordinator, Lila, and this other lady, Joanna. And what happened was they became jealous and envious. So I got called into the chaplain's office because I used the D word, demon, demonic manifestation, and not the Holy Spirit. And all I could tell the chaplain was, I'm sorry, but I I have studied the flesh. When I sit up on the pew, I watch. I understand discerning the spirits. I move in that. And God tells me if that's him in praise and worship or in prayer or the other guy. And I knew these were demonic spirits. So I was being challenged by leadership. When you start moving with God, helping people his way, you will be challenged. You can say that in the Bible. When God started moving through Christ Jesus and John the Baptist, it riles up religion. The enemy gets mad. So I was, I had my own seat in the chaplain's office. That's right. I was in trouble with the team, for I could see what they couldn't see. This one other story was when we were in a deliverance room, and I would sit like I'm sitting here now, and I would look directly in your eyes, knee to knee. The other team would stand behind you. They'd never look at your eyes, but I knew. Look at the eyes. I could see the demons moving around in the eyes, dancing. See them in the skin, in the hair. I could see them. That's one girl we were working with. She showed no manifestations when the deliverance team, the group I was with, called them out. So they assumed she didn't have any. And I'm sitting there watching them. And I called them forth. I said, okay, there they are. They're up. You can cast them out now. They were jealous of me because of this gift. There was a Baptist couple, couple and their daughter. Some other people who wanted to help in this way, but they really didn't move in the gift. They wanted to be more of a pastor and that level. So they didn't get too deep into it. But being a mental health counselor and helping people with deep issues and trauma and child abuse and all kinds of issues, even having it in my own family, I was going to be going deep into issues. I could see, I could hear the multiple personalities in there. They would talk to me. So there's another case. I was with a man. We were working with a young pastor, I think, a man. And I was knee to knee with him, and I called out the demon of schizophrenia. You should have seen his eyes of hate. It was right there, staring at me. And I'm short, 5'2". This man must have been six. I was so close, if he had reached out his hand, he could have had me like this. 
he stood up. <laughs> he backed me against the wall. And the helper had to take him down. I even had to learn how to take you down, a man over six feet tall, by myself. I had to learn self-defense. I had to learn not to be afraid. I had to learn who my enemy was. I was tough. God could use me. I was not fearful of the physical body. I could take you down by pulling on your pant leg. I could stop you with my hand. I watched the demons dance in your eyes. Watched your face contort. Eyes roll back in your head. Hands coming after my throat. Never was afraid. Still am not today. I was tough. Because I came from a military family. I was now behind the enemy lines. I was on the battlefield. Spiritually. That was my job on the personal ministry team. The deliverance team. I moved in the anointing on the prayer team. God was there coming through. He was teaching me. Helping me. To help you the Lord's way. I bound up the demons. In the sanctuary. All 18 of them. This one story was on a Friday night. I had this young lady. I was called by the ushers. And they weren't allowed to do anything out loud. Just one voice. Mine. If you study Christ Jesus, you'll know that the disciples just watched. They never spoke when he's talking to the people. Casting out. Healing. They just watched. And afterwards, he would go off and they would ask their individual questions. Most of the time. You just watch when you're in learning. You study. So in this case, with this precious young lady, she was with some other ladies, and they were at a hotel. They called me out. She was manifesting, shaking, and doing some strange things. And uh, I bound all 18 up and told her friends, take her back to the hotel. Now, I think I sent them back into praise and worship. It'll be all right. And she did. And I said, but don't, when you go back to the hotel, don't do any deliverance work. You go home. You talk to her pastor. You tell her pastor what happened. Let him deal with it. Well, these ladies who loved her didn't do that. They went back to the hotel and proceeded to cast out things that they didn't probably believe in, had no authority yet to do it, were not anointed, caused problems. She goes home. They go to her pastor. He tries it. It gets worse. Her father, now she is over 21. She might be in her late 20s, early 30s. Her father has to put her in a psychiatric hospital because of all this. And he calls down to the church and talks to Chaplain Robertson and said, I put them in her. So I get a phone call while I'm out and ask me, do I remember this lady in a yellow dress? I go, yes, sir, I do. What did you do? I explained to him and what I told the ladies. He's, and I said, why? He said, well, she's ended up in a psychiatric hospital and her father is blaming you for putting things into her. And I even had to explain that I don't cast out. That is the rules of Pastor John Kilpatrick and I cannot break those. I only bound up in what I told him. So I was getting in trouble getting blamed for people's lives. Because we had learned early on this is serious work. When you start messing with people's spiritual lives, 
the enemy will not let go easily. He'll kill them if he has to. This one case we heard about, they burned themselves alive. It is serious work. It is life and death for people. We're on a battleground. It's like World War II. We are going into occupied territory where the enemy has set up shop. Go study World War II in all those towns. Go study. I did. The enemy will kill you before he sets you free. He will not let his prisoners go. If I can't have you, nobody can have you. I ran into that. The church didn't want to be embarrassed. They really didn't want people to know there was these things. There were cameras on Pastor Deborah everywhere in the sanctuary. I had eyes on me all the time. So in this transition from being a mental health counselor to being helping you the Lord's way, deliverance was one part of it. Casting out of devils, understanding the spiritual kingdom, both heaven and darkness, and how people's lives are affected by it, and how wonderful loving people can have things they don't even know that they have. This one other story in Deliverance was a young, precious girl. She had said she had been into witchcraft, but she stopped. But she had memories of when she was five years old and sleeping. Her grandfather or her uncle would come through her window spiritually, get her spirit, and take her to a satanic occult meeting. I never heard of such things in mental health counseling. But I was hearing things I had never heard of. And I had to believe him because I started reading true stories. I read the Bible. I read history. I studied spiritual things in history. I studied the ancient kingdoms who believed in spiritual entities and gods. And it wasn't unbelievable to me. None of this. And to confirm what mental health was believing, I had asked a psychiatrist, was I think a child psychiatrist, a young adult, to have a seminar at uh, one of the hospitals here for licensed counselors on Satanism. So he did, and he basically said it wasn't real. It was just a fun game. It was just something these young men, adults, enjoyed doing. It wasn't anything serious. It wasn't a mental illness. It had no reality in it. Okay, so now I know what psychiatrists believe about Satanism. And witchcraft. If you follow, I even went to some uh, conventions where there were fortune tellers, people moving in auras, people uh, with crystals, even studied crystals, chakras, acupuncture, yoga. None of that was considered, it was spiritual, but it wasn't part of the mental health world. So I had to learn what was going on. How were people trying to help people other than medicine? I had to study Chinese acupuncture. Uh, Prayer. Alternative medicines. Herbal medicines. Having light aromatherapy. Yoga. I got into a fight early on with a young man. He was a personal trainer in a gym. And he was teaching Christian yoga. 
I said, excuse me, learned that this guy was in the choir of one of the biggest Southern Baptist churches here in town. I think it was Olive. He said, yeah, he would do yoga and he would bring in scriptures and stuff like that. I said, excuse me, do you know the history of yoga? He said, no, it was good for stretching, which it is. Muscle building, which it is. Relaxation, which it is. I said, the history of yoga is every position was designed to worship and praise a God. So you are actually doing worshiping, sacrificing to gods in every position. And you could not mix Christianity with that. He had not studied. Oh, he got mad. But I knew because I had studied yoga. I had studied ancient Taoism, Buddhism, Confucianism. I'd studied ancient China. Did you know that one of the three sons of Noah, which were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, went into China? They started off with heaven. They knew about God because they had the early connections. And who was it? Shem. Shem's descendants went toward that way took the belief of God and then it slowly changed into we got to follow Buddha and Confucianism and Taoism and they got off into all kind of other things but God actually went down into Egypt down into Africa through Ham and Jephthah went up into Europe Mm -hmm. I had to study all that so here in Jan's transition my mental health counselor to helping people the Lord's way, I had to have a lot of spiritual knowledge, history, archaeology. I had to have real-life personal experiences. I had to read true stories. I had to read all the scriptures, study all of the things from the Strongman book, every scripture reference. I had to study, read, ponder. And that went on for a year or so. I was fast learning. Then... One day, one night, when the time was ready that I didn't know, God allowed a young girl named Amanda, the one, come into my life. It's now time to put this into personal practice. She came into the sanctuary. And my life would take a deeper dive from that night on. And many of the stories that you'll hear later about her. Amanda was a princess, a queen in making of a multi-generational Satanist family and a member of the Black Forest Clan. I knew none of that at the altar. How it happened is she came to the altar. And you'll hear her story later on. She had come to the church to follow me out to the car and threatened me that if I didn't stop doing what I was doing, what was I doing? Loving them, praying for them, casting out of devils, they were going to kill me. I was to be threatened. And those are all wonderful stories. So my night, one night, Friday night, I think it was October the night. So on this Friday night, October the 9th, 1998. This young girl 
came to the altar. She told the altar worker she was into Satanism and was a witch. They called Pastor Deborah. I was on call. Walked down the stairs, get a word of knowledge. That's another gift of the Holy Spirit. Walked up to her. And they said, her name is Amanda. And I said, yes, I know that. And she is a witch. She's a high queen. She's from the Black Forest Clan. And she is here to finish her assignment. She used to have sex with a worker of the revival. Then kill it in a sacrifice to represent the killing and the death of the revival. And she said to me, how do you know that? I said, God just told me through a word of knowledge. And I'll pick up in that story how that goes next. So I'm going to end right here in this book with the entrance of Amanda on a Friday night. Learned later that that night was her birthday, spiritually, satanically. Her real birthday was October the 27th, I think. And what they would do in Satanism is they would add the two and the seven and make nine. That was her spiritual, satanic birthday. October the 9th, Friday night, she was going to be going to a satanic meeting. Have all kinds of stuff happen. But God had another plan. And I was to be a part of it and still am. So I want to end right here. And you're beginning to see how a transition takes time, takes work. But if you are answering God's call to help people, maybe you're doing it one way, or maybe that is the way He wants you to do it. Then you do it well. But I had a different way to learn and to grow. And Jan began, and Deborah would pick up. So let's end. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that these people are hearing of a true story of spiritual transformation. What was going on on the inside of Pastor Deborah and Jan? How you were using your presence, your light, your power, the enemy, to change and transform me so I could help people the Lord's way. I knew you were in a hurry, Steve Hill, the evangelist, told us. I could see your power, your light coming not only in me and on me, on other people. I was in your revival. I was in your atmosphere. You had come to town. Your light was rays of glory and happiness and freedom. The gifts were opening up to me. I was beginning to learn. It was a shocker, but I was not surprised. I moved into it with a warrior's mentality. I was studying the enemy. You were raising me up to be a mighty general, a king from your kingdom. But I knew nothing about it this time. But I was coming. You were teaching. I was following. You were my master teacher. And you were testing me right and left. Love was being tested. Knowledge was being tested. Authority and dominion was being tested. Perseverance was being tested. And you were there to help and encourage me. Even when there was nobody else, you were there. You were leading me and guiding me, teaching me, testing me, trying me. Every step of the way. And I know I passed. So I want to end here with hope and encouragement for the others. That they too 
will see you at work in their lives so they can help people with you and through you for the kingdom of heaven to reach out and touch other people in the kingdom of darkness. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Thank you.